Welcome to the Witness of Persecution podcast with Nick and Ruth Ripken, where we equip you with biblical principles and practices and stories from believers in persecution to help you cross the street and cross the ocean with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Anthony Ball. I'm your host today. And today we have Nick with us joining us on this episode. Nick, how are you today? I'm doing quite well here in sunny Kentucky. You know, hey, actually, uh, I got my Kentucky mug today, so I came prepared also. Well, um, maybe that mug is a, a foretelling of something that you ought to do. <laughs> if you've got the basement open, we'll come up there. <laughs> the basement's open. I got a horse ready for you. I mean, saddle up our horses, right? I'm ready to go. <laughs> good, good. I see I just, that you uh, you trimmed too. You trimmed your yeah, beard. Yeah, I'm just uh, hate looking at that old man in the mirror. I'm just wondering I could do like they do in some parts of uh, Africa and, and take shoe polish on my beard and my hair. That might just uh, spiff me up a little bit. You know, I think it could work as long as you don't get too close to, to heat or a fire. No, melt it off. I think, I think it, it doesn't, good. it doesn't work in the rain very well. <laughs> I just, I have this visual picture of yeah, you shoe should. polish. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. man, uh, I'm sure all of our listeners now have this visual picture of shoe polish just all over, uh, all over your face yeah. and your clothes, but you, everybody you'll get old one day and then you won't laugh at me so much. <laughs> Well, Nick, thank you so much um, for being here. And on this episode, you we talked a little bit about it beforehand, but you have some amazing experiences and you have uh, you and Ruth together and your family, especially through Somalia. And, and for many people, that's a lot of what they know of your story, the background of the insanity of God, kind of the uh, the catalyst for a lot of these stories, for the the pilgrimage that you took interviewing all these believers all over the globe. Tell us, bring us back to those first few months when you go into Somalia, the raw experiences that you had when you were working with people, walking through uh, the cities and the streets. Just give us a, a picture um, on this episode of what those initial months were like and what you saw and what you want us to learn from that today. You know, it's probably... Um... We'd probably been in there for about six months, maybe a little bit more. But when you look at the expatriates that were actually working on the ground, I think there were four of us. Once the U.S. brought in all the troops from around the world, that swelled uh, to 70, 80 organizations. So, and we had 1,000, 32,000 troops. Uh, we had all of these non-government organizations that we call NGOs and Hundreds of them, Red Cross, Save the Children. But back in those days, uh, you could put all of us in a pickup truck. And uh, there were uh, all these refugees were coming into town, into the city from the countryside, uh, living in bombed out buildings and uh, whatever cloth that they could, you know, lean up against a tree or or or, or in the in the lee side of a broken house and. And after we're getting our feet on the ground and we're just got uh, pockets of people that we're feeding and uh, people that we're every day still burying and just just trying to get going. And I don't really re remember, but someone from within 
the United Nations body heard about what we were doing and asked me if I would go and, and see what the rest of Mogadishu was like because all that anybody had seen now for a few years, um, you see, when the Civil War came, overnight, all the missionaries had to leave. Uh, they, they were often uh, connected to schools, uh, uh, to medical clinics, uh, to things like that. And so I'm telling you, when when things went bad, uh, they, they they probably had to evacuate and they never were able to come back after two weeks, not, not till today. And so those of us who had some faith and, and those who were willing to do things for humanitarian reasons, uh, like I said, there were just about four of us in there and, and, um, uh, and, and we're working, you could almost walk uh, the area of Mogadishu where 400,000 people were living less than hand to mouth. But before the military come in, came in, I could walk anywhere. I could walk to the Somali markets. It was a really good day. Uh, I, I found three cans of Pepsi and a, and a can of, of, of orange drink, orange soda. And, and I got them back and, children in some kind of thing that we had in the house that we'd rented. And, and I remember uh, drinking those uh, uh, sodas in, in Mogadishu and, and, and could tell they'd been in those cans for a lot of years because I could taste the can as well as I could taste the soda. But apparently they didn't do me a lot of harm. But I, I was very concerned for what's outside of this tiny circle uh, that we could reach. And so I got. I rented a pickup truck with four guards. Uh, and the truck was to transport me, and the guards were to protect the truck. And and we drove uh, maybe a mile or around inside of Mogadishu, but made a big a circle from the Indian Ocean and, and back to the ocean. And as we got outside, maybe a half a mile or so still in the city proper, I just began to walk with these guys because it was obvious that there was no danger there because there was no one there. I mean, the only thing uh, uh, I remember walking and every step I take, the little dust storm would just uh, billow up around my feet. Uh, every bit of grass, any kind of weed, uh, any plant that might be there, it was burned to a crisp because you, you never you never get a Mogadishu or Somalia from one crisis. It's a multiple crisis. And so you have a, a famine, you have a drought, you have a civil war, and all that goes to, to just making, almost takes you back to a, becoming a pre-nation uh, uh, rather than a nation anymore. And you're 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 not even existing, and so I'm walking, and uh, there's there's not a bird, Anthony, to be heard. There's not a cat. Uh, there there there's no living creatures we could find walking all over that city, and and, and I've been out in the sun long enough to where my clothes got really itchy. I'm sweating a lot. But the dry air is drying it immediately and leaving salt crystals, you know, uh, on my shoulders and my body. And, 
and and the and and, and the hush was so overwhelmingly uh, the guards stopped talking i stopped asking them questions it's just that there was nothing it was like somalia had died and and its song had died with it there was just nothing going on you you couldn't find a cricket making noise uh, uh, I was out there in the nighttime. There was absolutely no sound. Uh, there, there was that one grasshopper, no birds, no rabbits, no people. There was no living entity uh, for the hours that I walked around that city that day. And, and uh, you know, you, you, you hear a rusty door every now and then creaking as the wind blew it back and forth, opening but you could go inside these shells of a building. There's there's not even bones there. there there's nothing there. I never saw a hyena. There's not a living thing. And, and I've done this for about um, six or seven hours. And all of a sudden, uh, I hear something. And, and I stop and I look at my guards. And, and they look back at me and, and I'm... With my eyes, I'm looking really puzzled, and they're looking back at me like we, we don't know what this is. And 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 I suddenly I realized what I was hearing, and I was hearing children sing. And 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 for six months plus uh, being in Somalia, I had not heard anybody sing. I'd never heard anybody play a musical instrument. I never heard a radio or anything turned on or any kind of recorder to give song, but but the singing was so out of place that I I I just couldn't even recognize it for what it was, and 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 when I realized it it was singing, I couldn't figure out where it was coming from because it was just like a it was a haunting sound almost, and because you've got all this dust blowing and. You've got all this emptiness, and if, if you imagine an old west, a ghost town, that is exactly what this was. This was a ghost town, and so I'm hearing kids singing. If it wasn't for the guards looking at me, I would have thought that I was having a hallucination, but they could hear it too. And then I thought, all of a sudden, that's children singing, but. That can't be true. There's nobody alive out here. There's no singing. And so I just began to try to follow the noise. And I'm walking around now, completely dust-filled, dirt, uh, pathways, uh, little sheds of housing. Every now and then, maybe a two-story empty building. Anything that could be used has been taken. And and I'm, I, I, I follow this sound. And I walk and I walk and I come to a gate of a building and that gate was closed and I and I could tell that this noise was coming from inside and I didn't know whether some kind of uh, radio or playing something had been, uh, somehow it fell off a shelf and was turned on. But I went up and I knocked on this metal gate that just made a, a hollow a ringing sound, and I I knocked on it, and all of a sudden there's just deathly silence, and that that metal gate just creaked, squealed open, 
And there stood a guy with an AK-47 and he looked at, he just, he just held it open just enough that I could see his face and he could see mine. And he turned around and, and looked at some something or someone and, and then opened the door all the way. And I could see inside that gate about 50 children uh, sitting on the ground looking back at me. And up at the front of them was this Somali lady uh, just with scarf on her head and layers of the Somali clothes that the uh, ladies wear. And, and I left the, the guards outside and I, I walked up the side uh, between the children and, and, the, and the concrete wall. And I walked up to the lady that was uh, standing there and she looked at me and she smiled and she said, uh, you love Jesus, don't you? We've been waiting for you to come. And this is the first time that I had met Sophia. And she had gathered uh, these 50 children together that had no living parent that probably didn't even know where they were from. She didn't even know where she had found all of them. Some of them uh, were dropped off and left at that gate uh, during the nighttime. Uh, she would go inside of Mogadishu and beg uh, for water or bread or something to keep these children alive. And she were teaching them. Well, she was actually making up Somali uh, Jesus-centered psalms uh, 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 teaching these 50 children. And she had prayed every day for God uh, to send her someone that could bring help to those kids. And when I showed up, that's the exact words that are seared on my heart. She said, you love Jesus, don't you? We've been waiting for you to come. And her name was Sophia. And that started probably a, 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 a now a 10 to 15 year relationship with her uh, that took her uh, from that uh, dead part place in, in Mogadishu into a more habitable place where we could settle her and those children. And, and you know what would happen in situations like that down the road, Anthony? We'd find, I'd go to places where all the children were dead. And then I'd go to other places, like I went to one village and all the children were dead because the parents had eaten the, the last of the food, allowing their children to die. And I went about 10, 12 kilometers across a river from them. And I went to a village where 30 or 40 children were alive because the parents gave the children their last morsels of food and the adults died to keep the children alive. Now they're dead. And I went back to the first village and said, what would you do if, if Allah, if God gave you a second chance, what would you do if, if he were to give you children? They said, we, we, we can't live with the shame that we allowed our children to die. We would do everything uh, to have children again. I said, well, I know where 30 some children are. And if you want to start over, I'll take you where these kids are and you can choose uh, whatever you can take care of. And I just matched up the children with the parents that had let the children die. 
with the children whose parents had died for them to keep alive. That was what this place was like. And that was all I could do at times. And so I met her and on her own for almost a year, she'd been gathering these children left along the side of the road, left in ditches, left at her doorstep. And not only was she keeping them alive, she had given Somalia and those children their song back. And every day they would sit in that courtyard and she would tell them Bible stories from memory and she would turn those Bible stories into songs and those children will sit on the ground with clothes barely covering their bodies and they would sing in a place that had no song. And I almost couldn't, I just couldn't stand it. I just, I just stood there and I just told her, I said, you're right. Uh, I am a follower of Jesus and he brought me here and your situation changes today. They don't, they don't teach you that in the seminary. There, there's not a Bible college that prepares you for that. But the fact of the matter is the Old Testament and New Testament is filled with stories like this and how God and his people respond to them. But part of my pet peeve, no, it's part of my spiritual anger is that we study the Bible as if it's in past tense, as if it's an old book, as if it's a book that God used to be doing, that God used to do, and therefore there's no living activity of God that we can write ourselves into his story that will take us to Afghanistan, that will take us to China, that will take us to the borders, if not inside of North Korea, that will take us to the Afghanistans and the Somalis of this world and allow God to begin his story again in the Old Testament places around this world. And there one lady determined, as no other lady I met in the first six to nine months, she had determined that she would stay alive so these children would stay alive. And not only would she feed their bodies, she would feed their souls. And the only time in the first two years in Somalis, I heard singing in the entire country was in that compound. You tell such a, an amazing story. Of course, it is a true story, but you know, I feel like I was there listening to you walking along the, the dirt and dust paths and, and things like that. But I, I was writing some notes down as you were talking because I know that um, Sophia, she, there's more to her story. There's more um, that you and Ruth encountered with her and her ministry and things like that. But I want to kind of revisit a little bit of the, of the, the surrounding environment where you were in Somalia the first several months, because I think for our listeners in this day and age, in, they may be hearing this story and they're thinking, man, some of this sounds like places right now, you know, in our day and age, they may look at that and say, this seems like what's happening maybe in the Ukraine or what's happened in Afghanistan over the last several months. And so we hear th these raw experiences and we know that 
many places that have experienced war and famine and things like that, they ha- they can have similar experiences for believers today who are listening to this story and listening to these experiences. How do, how do we uh, be useful in the kingdom of God? Because we, we can see the news, we can hear all these stories. Uh, you know, so many things even today happen in Somalia. And so many believers might be listening and, and they may be thinking, what can I do? What role can I play to, to help other believers who may be in these just devastating experiences? What, what, did you say, what would you say to believers listening today who might be wrestling with that? Well, I don't know how to sugarcoat it, coat it. And if I did know, I'd tell it to my wife and she would tell the story to you. So she and her sweet nature would have more sugar and, and less salt. But uh, Anthony, uh, the truth of the matter is these places are like they are because the failure of the church. Because for 2000 mm. years of Christianity, we never got to Somalia. I mean, you can measure in terms of uh, 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 people that I know of in the entire history of Christianity that went to Somalia and learned the language and learned the culture. And when there was no civil war, no famine, and were in there as families. So there's, there might even be a couple hundred of them. But for 2,000 years, there were never enough of a critical math, math, uh, mass, uh, uh, mass of, the, of the kingdom of God among the Somali people for them to have a chance to say yes or no to Jesus. And I've mm-hmm. looked back in my lifetime and every war, every military action that my country of origin has fought and bled in the tens of thousands are the countries that you and I, the the Church of Jesus Christ, Christians for 2,000 years have failed to take the gospel and they have no chance to know that there's a an option of love, there's the option of forgiveness, there's the option mm-hmm. of joy, there's the option of knowing God's story and singing it back to him. And when we fail to take the good news to the places of this globe, like some of the countries you you mentioned, uh, not Ukraine, except Ukraine has had 90% has been of the Orthodox faith. Uh, and I'm not going to put that down, but there there are major differences between uh, uh, faith of, of, of Protestantism and, and the Orthodox Church. But when you look at the Afghanistans, you look at the uh, uh, of the of the Somalis, you look at the Djiboutis, you look at the Yemen Yemenis, you look at all these countries, and I can go on and on. Uh, these are the countries that are seeing civil war and famine, and they are the exact places where God's people decided it was too hard to go. And oftentimes, people ask me. Today, mm. why, why did you do that? Why did you go there? Why did you put yourself and and others at risk? And 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 if I didn't think they can understand that you do this because Jesus told us to do it, 
He commands us to do it. He, he doesn't give us a choice. He gives us a choice whether we do it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, but we've chosen to stay in Jerusalem and to do short-term trips mm-hmm. into uh, Judea uh, and, and, and every once in a while Samaria, but not much. And, and so uh, we've got three point, almost 3 billion people on the planet today that don't have a single missionary in their country or their people group. They don't have a single Bible verse and they don't have a single spiritual song that we know of. And yet the strongest thing we do as the people of God is to sing his words back to him. Now, as is usual true with me, I don't even remember what your question was. And maybe somewhere in that <laughs> I answered it, but I want to paint a picture that that Somalis are responsible not for their drought. They're not responsible really for their famine. They are responsible for their civil war and the and the death of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, that was not necessary, but uh, we're responsible uh, to care for our brothers and sisters because they're God's creation. Uh, when there are droughts, when there are times of trouble, when there are famines, and yet the body of Christ has determined that we're going to keep 95 cents out of every dollar to ourselves. And so um, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't tell you how much uh, the goosebumps go up and down uh, roots in my body when we walk into a church at worship and we walk in and God's people are singing, uh, just tears come to our heart and our eyes because we've been to those places where people don't sing, can't sing. Mm. They don't have a song. And and what I'm thinking from your question, though, a lot of our listeners, what they'd want to do is go to Somalia and they'd want to bring the water and they want to bring the food and they want to care for the women who were every woman I met for six months had been abused multiple times. And we want to mm. address those women and address the famine and address uh, the children's hunger, but you can't leave out. Sophia refused to leave out uh, the thing that in a way those children needed as much as anything else. And that was the ability to sing their songs mm. to God and have the joy of doing that. I had never for six to nine months seen children clap. I had not heard children sing. I had not heard children laugh. I had not looked at children with smiles on their face as I stood up there uh, next to Sophia and she led them through uh, a series of songs. Uh, There was no song in Somalia at that time except in that compound. Wow. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. Nick, I want to I want to follow up because we may not have a, a lot of time to uh, dive deeply into this, but you bring up a really good point, and you did answer the question really well. 
And part of that answer is the, the reason some of these places are the darkest places in the world is because the church has refused to go. That's why they're unreached, because the church has not gone and taken the, the good news of Jesus to these places. So I know we're going to have some listeners who are going to be, uh, there should be amening. They're going to be jumping out of their seat and they say, yes, absolutely. That's exactly right. And so now they're going to be asking, what is the, what's the next step? There's a lot that goes into that, but a lot of listeners may be thinking, how do I help my churches? How do I help my, um, my, my small groups, my ministries? How do I help them see, have a, a bigger vision of the great commission and a bigger vision of reaching the unreached and sacrificing for these deep, dark places that have yet to hear about Christ. Where does that conversation even start with people who really want to move their churches and ministries in that direction? Well, you, uh, you're asking the right question, and, and it starts with people crossing the street from their house and mm. meeting their neighbors. You, you know, in essence, those children could not sing if they had not been fed. Those children could not sing if they had not been loved. Those children could not sing if Sophia hadn't brought them a place to sleep, a blanket to sleep under, uh, food to eat and water to drink. But at the same time, uh, she taught them to be thankful for the water they drank, the food that they ate and the blanket they had. And that was their entire world sleeping and living in the compound, on that ground of that compound, and, and and yet they had unbelievable joy in their lives. And, and we've made witnessing so complicated when Sophia learned that witness takes place when you show hospitality to those around you, and she was doing it in a famine and a war zone and a drought. She was uh, bringing food, water, and joy. And that's what our neighbors need. That's what internationals uh, that live in our communities need. And witnessing and, and being Christ uh, uh, hands and feet is not brain surgery. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need a Bible college uh, a diploma. Uh, what you need is to open up your house and have hospitality and, and and help people interact with your song and your story and God's story by sharing meals with them and 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 yet if it's uh, if you have Muslim neighbors they're going to invite you into their home three four five times for a meal before they trust you enough to bring their family to your home but there mm. is something that is missing in our witness is that it. It needs to encompass our words, our food, our water, hmm. our place of dwelling, and then let the song break out. Hmm. Let the song hmm. just uh, let them set in. Uh, if you've got neighbors that, that are outside the kingdom of God, don't make an excuse. Just, just, just let them listen in as you uh, ask your family, what are you thankful for? And, and I always uh, tried uh, overseas to ask my wife, my children, especially, no, when we had guests, we didn't do any different, what they were thankful for, and and, uh, and then do the proper form of prayer and, and pray, offering thanks for that meal. 
We always did family devotions. And if we had Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus, we really didn't have many Buddhists around uh, or non-believers of Western background. They just set in as as we told Bible stories to our kids and as we sung, as we prayed and just watch that, that, that the combination of that food, of that water, that iced tea, that drink, that fellowship around the table, uh, that being able to listen in and, 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 and to our song and, and listen in to our stories that comes from the very heart of God is just life-changing. Uh, sharing a witness for the kingdom of God is not brain surgery. I, I wouldn't be able to do it if it was. It is time-consuming, but you're going to do these yeah. things any any way. And I promise every listener that we have uh, to this podcast will, in their neighborhood, they have broken men, women, and families who have lost their song. And if Sophia mm. can gather starving children around her in a famine, a drought, and a war zone, and she can have them singing their little praise songs to Jesus and to God, there is no reason why I cannot do it in my neighborhood. Wow. That's powerful and convicting. And you, you've said this many times. And this I, I won't is, stop. You know, this is... I won't stop. No, don't stop because that you remind me, we've, we've said this multiple times on episodes, and this is actually even the title of the podcast is Witness and Persecution. And you have many times said and, and reiterated over and over that um, when we do not witness and testify to the good news of Jesus, we are persecuting those around us because we are withholding access to Jesus. And I imagine many of our listeners may be thinking, how convicting is it that uh, the story of Sophia being able to do so much with so little through the power of God? What is stopping me? What is stopping us from inviting our neighbors to dinner? What's stopping us from going across the street and, and extending a, a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus to, to an international family or couple? It's just so convicting with that reminder. Um, who do we side with the the persecuted or the persecutors right and the the difference is whether we witness or not i often say to people who are astounded at our story is what would you want me to do if, if that were your children if that was your wife being abused if that was your husband with a guy's uh, foot on his neck with an ak-47 in his hand what would you not want me to intervene if that was? Mm. And I look at those situations as if uh, these were my kids and my wife and my family. And, and I want to do for them as God has done for me. And, and so, you know, um, I have found over the years that if people will cross the road, with hospitality and love, that uh, uh, they'll do it anywhere in the world. But if they don't cross the road with God's love and hospitality, it's very doubtful they'll go and do it in a, a place that's physically challenging. Mm. That's a really, really good point. And you could probably do a whole episode 
on um, crossing the street, preparing you for crossing the oceans. But well, you want you want to? Um, we'll do that right now if you want to. We're we're though my wife is uh, quite ill at the point. This point, I'm going to go to Illinois uh, uh, this weekend. She'll have great care here. But the the whole thing they've asked us to come and do with them is, is talk about uh, help us cross the street. It's mm. not about bringing people. See, we think witnessing is inviting people to church. Witnessing, you're about to get in trouble. Yeah, witnessing <laughs> is just sharing uh, your story and God's story with the people around you until it just becomes part of, of who you are and naturally of what you do. And we do need to talk about this and, and, and need to see it not as, a, not as a, somebody's guilting us, it, just see it as an absolute joy. Have I ever mentioned to you, and it might need to be a whole, yeah, we'll make another episode sometime. But let me, <laughs> I'm ready let me, for it. Yeah, let me give you the sound bite that as far as I can find globally, our faith system is the only faith system in the world that prays for people outside of a religious building. Hmm. It's the only faith system that prays for the possessed, that prays for that dying child, that prays for that leper, praying for people in their homes, praying for them in the marketplace, praying for them in the quiet byways of, of life, our faith, when we export our prayers for people and call them into the presence of God in where they live, uh, work, or stay appropriately, not embarrassingly, our faith system is the only one that I have encountered that does that. All the others have wow. to gather them to a place of prayer, but we need to be a people of prayer. And, oh, calling, really good. and calling Muhammad's daughter Aisha, calling her name up to God because she is sick. And God heals that little girl. And we, and we thank God for Muhammad and his wife in his presence. He's never experienced thing, anything like that except in a very formal setting of prayer. And... Uh, it's just something that we do for people. So the, the gift of prayer is something we want to talk about in future days. Wow, absolutely. And, you know, you, you're just reminding me because as we're talking about, um, you know, building a culture of witness and what does it take to uh, get to these deepest, darkest places of the world? We start by crossing the street. What you've told us and what you're telling our listeners is these are not complicated things opening up your home for a meal, praying for somebody, um, whether it's in their home or, or out in the marketplace, you haven't given us anything that is just astronomically difficult to do. It's, uh, it's so much in our DNA backwards that we take our own children to clergy so that they become a Christian. Hmm. Rather than why would I want to give the joy to someone else other than my wife and myself in leading our children uh, into the kingdom of God and growing them wow. uh, in the kingdom of God? Why would I want to shop that out 
and, and yet, so if, if we do that as Christian couples and we take them to a religious institution, a building, which, which you'll never find me. I go there every Sunday. I'll go there more than on Sunday. I love being in the house of God, but, but 90% of everything that Jesus did, he did in the marketplace. And there's another conversation that we need to have, but just, <laughs> just being able, mm. uh, uh, the, the, the number one center of worship in the world is in our home and men who are believers in the United States of America that's the number one lesson they have forgotten. The number one joy mm. they've left on the table. The number one gift to their family that they've given away to someone else. Wow. You know, do you, I think I probably already know the answer to this, but do you think that there's a relationship? Because you see a lot of places, the evangelism, evangelism strategy is bringing a lost person to the church for the clergy to take care of. Do you think we've exported that into the home of, okay, we're going to do the same thing. We'll, we'll take the, the children to the clergy and export that responsibility to, to a paid professional instead of taking ownership of that. Well, we just, um, again, I'll just, uh, I'll do Pete and repeat. Uh, <laughs> if you put a time clock on Jesus, 90% of his day was spent not in any religious institution was spent in the marketplace with people with everyday issues, everyday mm. joys, everyday sorrows. And, 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 and so that's where Jesus practiced his faith. And so uh, uh, it is important what we say, but it's equally important where we say it. And today the mm. most important place we say it is across the street and to those who have never had access to the love that God brings to families in the life and the death and the resurrection mm. of Jesus, the Christ. Wow. That sounded like That's a benediction powerful. to me. Seriously. That's, yeah. I think yeah. we, we should end on that. Yeah, I think that sounded like got... a benediction to me. <laughs> we'll pass the offering plate here in just a minute and then we'll close. Now, uh, but yeah, Nick, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your time. I know we'll be praying for uh, Ruth to recover and uh, we'll look forward to having her back on as well and hearing from the two of you. And I know when we get into uh, some lessons later on down about family worship and uh, worship in the home and house churches and things like that, I know both of you together have some profound profound wisdom and, and insight to share with us. And so I can't wait to hear some of that, but our listeners are going to have to wait because that'll be on down the road with some new episodes. But Nick, thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. You give us a lot to think about and a lot to really um, take an inventory of our heart and ask, are, are we, are we willing to do these things to reach the unreached and to reach those across the street and to the broken and hurting people that may be next door? You give us a lot to really apply to our hearts. Well, thanks. Thanks to you and your team. And uh, we'll talk together this time next week. Wonderful. We're looking forward to it. Again, to our listeners, this has been Witness and Persecution, a podcast with Nick and Ruth Ripkin. I've been your host, Anthony Ball. If you'd like more information about our ministry, including how to support or for other resources, you can go to www.nickripkin.com. Again, 
If you'd like to find more resources or more information about our ministry, you can go to www.nickripkin.com. We appreciate all of you. Thanks for listening and tuning in today, and we'll see you next time.